Hey, it's Patrick. Before we start, at the time of this recording, we went through a bit of a name rebranding from Rick Center to Altitude Accelerator. With that in mind, we hope you enjoy the following interview. Welcome to the Startups Transform podcast. I'm Patrick McGuire, your host, board member and advisor at Altitude Accelerator, where we help startups scale to new heights. We chat with phenomenal tech business leaders who've climbed their way to success within their industry. Our guests delve deep into the lessons they've learned along the way so that you can get a head start on your next big idea. We are just loving what's going on here, hearing these all these entrepreneurs just crushing it, making a difference in the world. A lot of the stuff that we're involved with is is leaning more towards technology and green tech and energy and power and, and clean tech. And all these things are happening for a reason. We need these resources. We need to change the way we think and do things better. And we're talking to someone who's living that lifestyle personally and corporately and making a difference so that many of us can. So I'm going to give you the quick bio here and the byline, if you will. This is the corporate stuff. It's engineering and manufacturing the, to assist the offline or off-grid power systems and solutions, and basically providing fuel-free power packs that replace gas and diesel generators, and basically the Canadian uh, assembled battery modules. Why don't we hear what my friend here has to say? We're going to ask and introduce you, a really awesome guy that's just hustling, he's driving, he's not quitting, he's not taking no for answers. COVID came in and kicked in onto his business, and he changed and made a small, not even a pivot, but an adjustment an enhancement to the business. So I want to introduce you to our friends over at Hybrid Power Solutions, specifically Francois. Francois, thanks a lot for joining me on the Startups Transform podcast. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Tell me, I read the basic line. What are you really doing at Hybrid Power Solutions? Oh my goodness, to put that all in a nutshell, eh, right? So uh, what we do is, you know, we started off by making a fuel-free power pack that replaces gas and diesel generators. So these are portable, small little packs. You roll them up and they've got plenty of power. You plug in all your devices, just like you would a normal wall outlet, but there's no fuels, there's no fumes, there's no noise. It's pretty awesome. So we started off in the mining industry. We started building those and then we realized, hey, if it's good enough for the mines, it's good enough for pretty much everybody. <laughs> Which has been great. And then after that, you know, and as you, you kind of hinted towards is with COVID, you know, we looked at the market and went, well, look, businesses have kind of just stopped buying until we figure out what the hell's going on here. And then, you know, that's, that's not good for a startup. Everybody knows time is money if you're a startup. Yeah. And so what we did is we, yeah. So what we said is, well, hey, you know, the residential market and the small commercial market is just really kicking butt. People are spending on their housing, they're moving out of the city and, and finding out that power may not be as reliable once you move out of the city. Let's get into this backup power. Let's get into this solar stuff. You know, we've got all the technology. We've got the right team. Hey, let's create something that's really cool. So we went out and created something called a power tower. And that's really kind of like the, I don't don't know if I could say it's the iPhone of solar systems, but it is the easiest solar system you can install in your home. And it looks really cool too. So then that's already said it. It's the iPhone of power (laughs) systems. That's it. It's out there and it's that easy folks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Anyone that visits the website, Hybrid PS is in Hybrid Power Solutions, hybridps.ca, you're going to see right away that they've got the portable power pack. You're going to see a couple other cool things. Just the the stuff that you really probably already know, because a lot of us are getting into this green energy and backup power and understanding it, but also the statement that getting off the grid has never been easier. 
So, I mean, that goes in line with what you just said. It's a simple tower. It's a simple power system. Maybe just tell me a little bit more about that and why is getting off the grid never been easier? Let's hear about that, Francois. Yeah. So when we developed the power tower, we spoke to our end customers. We spoke to our solar installers. And as much as it's a new industry, there's really hasn't been a huge amount of innovation. And especially on the battery side, you know, it's kind of been boring, uh, to be honest. And being a smaller startup, we have that flexibility to innovate really quickly, which is kind of a really good tool as entrepreneurs, right? Use that to your advantage. So what we did is we said, okay, let's, you know, usually when you do a solar installation on a home or on a, you know, anywhere, what you've got is you've got like five, six, seven, eight different components, and you've got to know how to wire these together. You've got to size them appropriately. Then you've got to figure out how much, you know, what you need for your specific scenario, because each one is completely different. So what we did is we said, okay, look, we're the engineers here. We're the people who know about this. Let's do the hard work for you guys. So we took all that, put it into a nice package that really handles almost all scenarios. It comes in a nice little kit. I mean, we even got have kits that you can buy that include the solar panels and everything you really need, wow. all the major components. And you know, let's make it something that people can just wire up and turn on. And instead of taking two days to install these components, it can take an installer two hours. So that's huge, oh right? Oh my goodness, that is awesome for the installer and for the customer. Exactly. And then what we did is, you know, there was an aesthetics portion of it. I mean, I looked at what was out there and I was like, this is looks industrial stuff. Nobody's going to want to show this off to their friends and you should be proud of it. I mean, you're spending anywhere from ten to $40,000 on this system. You should be able to show people what makes zero noise and keeps your lights running when everybody else is running generators that are really loud. So yeah, we designed it to look really cool. It's got a simple display. It doesn't have a million different functions. It's got what you need on there. And that's really what matters. That's cool. So you're making solar and backup power sexy. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> a little bit. I didn't want to use that word, but I'd like to say that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's a box or if it's a, a guy or a girl, it's, it's sexy power. Folks. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> it so, I mean, who's your target market? I mean, you said it's changed, but who was it before? <clears throat> but we're now hearing it's more in residential. Yeah, so it used to be, I mean, it used to be all B2B. We never even dealt with a homeowner or anything like that. And that was really because, you know, our small portable power packs, they were really rugged. They had lots of power. You could leave them outdoors in all these snow, wind, whatever. You can roll them around. And so it was really attractive to the mines and the underground customers because, well, first, there was no fumes or fuel, right? So right there, it was a no-brainer. And the second thing was, is when you go into a mine, you've got to pump a certain amount of air down the shaft, yeah. just to, you know, whenever you have a piece, an engine down there, right? Because it creates fumes and you need oxygen. So we did a math on it and it was like a 79 second payback period. Like something insane. It was absolutely insane. Holy yeah. Cow. So <laughs> that was definitely our easiest entry point. So we went to the market with that, got into almost all the mines in Ontario, some in Quebec, and then throughout Canada as well. And then we went into transit. So Montreal Transit, which is SDM, is a great client of ours. We've also got TTC down here in Toronto. Edmonton Transit, New York Transit, and then a few more transits into the United States. So we really focus on this really dirty industrial, you know, obviously we're trying to clean up the dirty industrial there, that's for sure. Especially with COVID, people started realizing, well, this is really well on my RV and really well on my boat, where places where like 4,000 watts of power, which is, you know, our smallest unit is really what you need because, and this is no joke, this is the ultimate thing that people always ask me is, look, my wife uses a hair dryer and I can't use it on my boat or my RV because it blows the inverter that's on there already. Yeah. So do you have something? And with 4,000 watts, we can do two or three of those. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a good easy sell. 
and you you know you got the partners uh, sign off on it, which was always a good thing too. So we got into that recreational market with these portable power packs that we make. And then, as I said, we kind of saw this opportunity in the residential and small commercial market. And that's when we really got into solar. Before, we always had this solar capability. So these portable systems could always be charged by kind of a, uh, you know, a few solar panels that you put on your roof or even on the top of uh, utility vans. Like we had trucks and you know, people going out to construction sites. So they put these things on the top of their vans and they could charge as they were on site. Or you could actually charge them right off the engine, which was pretty cool, like right off the battery oh, of, the, yeah. of the vehicle. Yeah, so that, that was cool. But that was, you know, it was, it was small solar stuff, right? Even a lot of people just had like folding solar panels that we sell and they fold those out onto the lawn and that was that was their backup power system. Nice. Yeah, but then we started looking at it like, well, look, this is residential opportunity. It's huge and there's not really many players and there's definitely no big Canadian players. And, um, you know, I think we had a little bit of an advantage being Canadian and just there's so much fast expansive fields and stuff that we could put up solar. And a lot of people are who are off-grid, right? So we saw this market and we said, look, We've got the technology. Let's just do it. Let's we'll give it our all. And and we did. And it took about, it was a really rapid development process. It was probably six to eight months. And we obviously used a lot of stuff that was already out there to help, one, bring reliability and two, bring that speed of development to the mix. But we really customized it to make sure that it was right for the North American market. And as you mentioned, look a little sexier than what's out there. And yeah, I mean, we've been sold out since we launched the Power Tower series of products about six months ago. And, you know, we're just keeping up with demand at this point. And yesterday, actually, we just launched a brand new battery. So, I mean, batteries are our bread and butter. That is what we do. And we just launched a brand new battery, which is really cool. Good, good. I mean, it's awesome to always be innovating with a brand new battery or a better box or a better solar system. It's great that you're always innovating. And I think it's fantastic that you're sold out in advance and you're still able to just keep up with all the oncoming orders that keep coming in the door whether you like it or not Uh, you just can't turn off that funnel which is a good thing for you in business of course especially the startup category if you will i mean hey i'm just going to call it out folks it says it right on the website it's called fossil fuel for a reason (laughs) i can't say it any more cleaner than that this is clean energy this is the future of really providing i think electricity for any time any need any reason Getting it from renewable sources, I mean, there's nothing better than the sun these days. And, you know, the biggest concern for people, we'll say Canadians, because we have this stupid issue and stigma, is there enough sun in Canada to actually keep these things going and give us all the power we need? (laughs) You know what? There's enough sun, there's enough wind, and there's enough solutions to make it work. And the reason I, I, I finish off on that solutions front is because not every a customer is the perfect off-grid customer. And I know we lead yeah. in with the off-grid, but there's a lot of people who they're best staying on the grid, but with having a backup system and solar panels that feed right into the grid. So, you know, worst case, you've always got that grid power there. You've got that safety. And maybe we're, we're starting to talk range anxiety, just like these electric vehicles a little bit. But, you know, it's really all about having that multiple options based on your specific scenario. So, yeah, there's lots of solar. There's lots of wind, you know, depending on where you are, no matter where you are in Canada. And one big thing that we heard from our customers as we were developing this was the issue with lithium batteries, because we only do lithium. I just want to make that clear. We only do lithium. It's the way of the future. And when you do a cost comparison, it's actually about a third of the cost of lead acid over the life of the product. So it's a lot cheaper. Most people don't even know that. And, and I'll probably have people contest that with me. But anyways, I'm always up for a good argument if anybody wants one. But the biggest thing that, that people came back to us is, you know what, lithium, you've got to be over zero degrees Celsius to charge them. And that is true. Oh, wow. And it is a big problem. 
Yeah. And we had a lot of people who, you know, they, know they, they can't guarantee that these systems. Yeah. So they can discharge down to usually way below zero. But the problem is, is you can't charge them up below zero degrees Celsius. So discharge, okay. Charge, not so okay. So what we did is after months of development, we finally came up and this is what we launched yesterday. It was this new PT 6.4 and it's actually going live on our website on Monday. And it has a fully integrated heating system. And not only that, but the cells themselves, even if that heating system were to fail, are good down to minus 30 degrees Celsius. So now you've got a system that's going to work in all weather conditions. You don't have to worry about it. And, you know, we've got a customer out in the Arctic that's looking at these as well. So it is a little bit of a game changer. Okay. So they can figure it out. If they can get it done in the Arctic, you can get it done anywhere. Exactly. And I've heard people from Winnipeg tell me it's like the Arctic there. So. Okay, Francois, one of the things that we talked about, obviously, was that it wasn't a pivot, it wasn't a change, it wasn't a complete abandonment of your original plan, but just switching and adding more solutions, moving into a different segment with the same solutions, and continuously striving to make it better. I've got a curiosity, I mean, not everything's great, not everything's perfect, but can you tell me about a situation that maybe it wasn't so great? Just give us a little enlightenment, try and let us know that not everything's perfect in your solar world and your battery backup world. Oh my goodness. Um, where to start? The list is never ending. <laughs> you know, I've, I've talked to a few entrepreneurs and I've always told them, if you haven't cried on your desk at one point in time, I don't know, I don't know if you're doing it right or you haven't been in it long enough. The challenges of being an entrepreneur in any, any kind of business is always going to be there. It could be as simple as just cash flow management. I mean, we manufacture and assemble our product. That means we've got to put a huge amount of money into the parts that come in, build them, and then ship it out. I mean, you're talking about having to survive three to, well, now almost four or five months because of the shipping delays. Mm. In cash, we've grown from a couple of years ago, there was three of us to now we're 14 or we're just hiring two more people to make it 14 people. So you've got the responsibility to your employees to make sure that, you know, the, the payrolls keep coming no matter... <clears throat> Excuse me, no matter what the struggle. But, you know, from a product point of view or, or from a, you know, a specific to the industry point of view, in the first few months of COVID, that freeze that companies made, right? All those businesses, you know, the mining companies and transit, they had no idea what was going to happen, right? So they just put a massive freeze on all spending. And we actually were just in the works with Home Depot to buy a bunch of our units for the rental fee, which was very cool. And this was February. So like it was right when they had announced the full, you know, lockdown and everything. And it just, you know, we had these units ready. We had, they were ready to ship and everything. And then it just halted. And, you know, nothing, nobody was spending anything for probably three to three to five months. I mean, we went from having, you know, regular sales to if we had a sale in a week, it was a good week. Right. And it was, so it was a really big struggle. And I mean, we were really fortunate enough to live in a country that, uh, you know, we did get some funding for payroll so I could keep everybody on board that we had. And I mean, that was a complete lifesaver. But my goodness, I think I, you know, I probably aged a couple of years in those few months just to make it through it. And, you know, it's one of those things that you just have to make sure that you've got a strategy that you read it before bedtime or else you'll cry because you just have to follow that plan, right? And you just got to trust in yourself that that plan's going to work out in the end because if you don't, if you start just overthinking it, you're just going to lose your marbles, that's for sure. Reading through some of the stuff we've shared back and forth, you know, you guys made some contracts, you made some deals. Maybe a couple of those deals didn't quite go so well. You had an exclusive thing that you might give us advice on? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're a young entrepreneur and, and you know, this, this company, as much as it's, we're still sort of, I like to think it's still a startup. We're a little bit later in the game, but earlier on, you tend to just go for whatever's out there, right? People offer you yeah. a deal and you take it, right? And so you sometimes jump the gun without, and you overcommit or, or you take an agreement that may not have been so good. And one thing I must advise against is exclusivity. It's a beautiful term that people with more experience are going to try to shove under your nose. And it's just something you want to try to avoid unless you've tested the waters with them. And that's always, you know, take a year. Now what people, when people come up, you say, I want exclusivity within this territory with your product or whatever. I say, look, let's let's have a practice run here. Let's give you a year of non-exclusivity. Let's see how that goes. And, And then we'll talk about it after a year. Because you know what, if you're getting into an exclusivity agreement, you better be not only happy with that company, but happy with the people you're working with at that company. Because if there's an issue with trust, with ethical practices on their front, you know, you're, you're stuck, you're, you're married to them. And uh, trust me, a divorce in this scenario is going to be a lot harder than you think and very costly. And uh, if you're a startup, you don't have that kind of money to, to be able to cut contracts legally. So you're kind of forced to stick with them. So yeah, my big tip to everybody out there is, is watch out for exclusivity, watch out for contracts, and try that little test period before you get in bed with them. Yeah, that's great advice. I really appreciate that. It's important for everyone to understand that is be careful of exclusive contracts. They could be wonderful, but like Francois said, it's a marriage and divorces are ugly and expensive. <laughs> What's probably the most important thing that's led to uh, your success, your company's success? What have you guys just done day in, day out that has made you successful in who you are today? Yeah, you know, uh, the word success, I get scared of it every time somebody says it. And I have my girlfriend always tell me, no, no, like if people think you're successful. Well, you know, you are successful or something. I don't know what it is. But, you know, I always get a little bit scared of that word because to me, you know, or, or to anyone out there, everybody's going to have a different definition of success. And I guess if I look at it from an outsider's point of view or from a higher level point of view, I can realize that, yeah, success is based on, you know, I really enjoy what I do every day. That's success to me. I enjoy the team I work with and I enjoy when they're happy. And that's that's an amazing feeling. But what got us to this point was really follow what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Do what you want to do every day. And, and yeah, okay, there's it's almost like an 80-20 rule. 20% of the time, there's these tasks I absolutely hate. I mean, nobody likes payroll or bookkeeping <laughs> or stuff like that. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe there's people. Yeah, yeah, there there <laughs> are a couple of them out there, but you usually hire them. <laughs> exactly, exactly, which was one of our best decisions we ever made to hire a bookkeeper. But anyways, <laughs> the, the, the that 80% should always be that what makes you happy. So that's one thing. The other thing, too, is just you know, invest in your people. Nice. We have very few people who have left us as employees. And the only reasons were, you know, situational, their dream job somewhere else, and it just didn't make sense and whatever it may be. But we keep in touch with those people. They still come in for a beer, right? Like it's because they trust in me to grow the company and I trust in them to get their job done. I don't micromanage them. I give them goals and responsibilities, which is obviously important, but it's up to them to really shine and to get where they want to be. And another thing is to make sure that they are they are in the right position for them. I mean, we, we've had employees who just, they started off in one thing, but if you pay attention, you can kind of see that maybe they could be better somewhere else. And it's just having that conversation on a regular basis with them about saying, hey, look, you know what? out of your job, I mean, you do a lot of things, but what are you passionate about? Let's let's focus on that because I need that in the company. Mm -hmm. So let's 
groom you into that role or whatever that role may be. And we had people who started off in, you know, engineering and ended up in production because they said, you know, I love working with my hands. I love tinkering. I also like a little bit of that the managing thing. So, okay, great production manager. That's awesome. Wow. And then we got them into the production manager. So it's about talking to people and, and your employees because they are your team. You know, they're, they're, they're the people who are doing most of the work for you. And so you've got to make sure that if they are successful, because in the end, they're successful, you're going to be successful. Absolutely agree. I can't agree with you any more than that. I mean, find people that are right for the job. And if not, put them in the job that they're best at or the something they're going to love. And, and they'll just naturally get better. So I love that you've adopted that and you understand it. Your perseverance and just keep doing what you got to do to move forward was a great example that you mentioned there. I'm just trying to think, I mean, it is the coolest industry to be in. It's probably going to be the coolest industry to stay in long-term and future-wise. We've talked about how it's called fossil fuel for a reason. I'm curious, in general, what's your outlook for this industry right now? Talking about solar or, or maybe even the original natural, not going, not going alternative energy sources, but going back to the original natural energy sources and backup power. What's your vision for the industry? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a transformation. The United States is sort of leading that pack with a recent announcement. And you'll see more and more announcements on the Canadian federal side of really greening, you know, greening our country, greening our electrical grid and finding really cool ways of doing so. And, you know, it used to be it was kind of like the nerd who drove the electric car, right, in the 90s and the early 2000s, or if there was available or the hybrid, right? Remember the Prius, nobody wanted to drive a Prius. And then it slowly became a cultural thing that, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know, I thank Tesla for this, that the industry has become now it's the classy thing to do. It's like the Starbucks of the industry. It's just that cut above, maybe if you want to put it that way, of, oh, I drive an electric car. It's got that fancy sound to it. And that has really propagated into the whole industry where people are now looking at green alternatives as not only a nerds, you know, or, or, or a niche kind of market, but really more of a, wow, this is something I want to get into because it's cool. And on top of that, look at all these other benefits. And it's sort of similar to how we got into the portable power pack industry that was completely fuel free is we did not sell on green. I'll be honest with you. We, we never walked in there and said, here's a really awesome green product. You know, it doesn't emit any emissions. We walked in there saying, hey, look, there's no noise. You don't have to wear any kind of protective equipment when you're around it. It's super easy to operate. Like even my grandmother can use it. They can press it on. Like this is that's awesome. the training yeah. required. Yeah. And then so we sold on that and the after effect was green. Now we can actually sell on green and the really cool performance, which is a really nice change. And I just see that growing leaps and bounds and the industry is going in the right direction. I mean, it's been increasing for the last 20 years, but this COVID has accelerated this in a phenomenally, like in a super rapid way. And I think it's because governments are trying to find new industries to invest in. And this is just a no brainer. Right. Especially for Canadian or North American economy where you have all these really skilled labor out there, you know, especially in Canada. I mean, we have, if not one of the highest educational post-secondary education percentage in the world, which is really, really cool. So you've got all these great engineers and business people and all these professionals. And so to tap into that and invest into that future, I think is a great idea. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I love it. The future of this industry is is bigger, it's growing, it's going to continue to grow and get bigger all the time. And you mentioned, you know, Tesla. Yeah, sure. That's kind of like the big success story that really propelled people into the general population spotlight. What I really like about it is that it made it cool. Like, 
it's now common for people to say, I want one of those. In fact, I exited from a couple of companies, but one of them was around 2014 and kind of everybody says, oh, so you're going to buy a Tesla. And you know, I really thought about it. I really did. But I looked around and I saw so many other startup exits all buying Teslas that I just kind of rebelled a little bit and said, no, forget it. But I do drive a hybrid instead. And, and I do actually, I'm coming back around and said, the two cars on my list for the near future within the next year or two, depending on how my cars perform, actually is a Model 3. I know it's a smaller one. I don't care, folks. <laughs> and that's Tesla Model 3 for anyone that is, doesn't know what they're talking about. And a Rivian, because I need a truck. Yeah. And those are the things that I want. And I want to make sure that I've got a solar power on the roof of the house to say that my car runs on sun. I think it's fantastic and you hit it right on the head. It's going to keep growing and more and more people are going to get involved. Government's putting out a lot of programs all over the world, not just in Canada, but putting in a lot of initiative programs to help people green up the earth that we live on. And that's a fantastic move. And solar and wind are awesome. Personally, I know I'm probably a little biased. You might be too, but I'm a big fan of the solar. I think that's the one we got to take care of and uh, really master. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Going back on this, you're still pretty young, company's still pretty young, but let's just sort of backtrack, you know, five, 10, 15 years before you became the entrepreneur. What were you doing? Oh my goodness. Um, it, it makes me feel old now, but I went to university. I mean, look, we can always go back all the way to high school. I mean, what high school kid knows what they want to do? It's a really tough decision. I feel for these kids. I mean, I was doing a mentorship program with these high school kids that were between like 14 and 16. And on this climate change project, it was cool. But, you know, it was it was also about how they have to pick their future. I mean, that's huge. I can't believe we got that responsibility to pick our future in high school or, or at least a path of some sort. I've got two girls doing it right now. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So my advice to them was always just you're going to make mistakes or so whatever you choose. Just go with your heart on that one because you're probably going to end up somewhere else. So. But I, I had this struggle when I was in high school that it was, you know, I kind of like that business. And, you know, maybe I was looking at the money side of things, which I sort of grew out of that phase. But I like that business and I like the management and I liked working with people. And then I also like tech. I like like tinkering. I, you know, I, was, I grew up on Lego and connects and stuff like that. So I really love that. And I was like, well, which how can I do? There's no business engineering degree that this exists. So I decided, look, you can always do an MBA after an engineering degree. So if I still like it then later on, I'll do that. So I did an engineering degree. It was super tough. I uh, I don't want to say I was like a terrible student, but I don't want to say I was a great student either. Until I really started to get into fourth and fifth year, where you're not you're not doing just math and stats and all this stuff. You're actually doing more of the stuff you joined the program for, right? So yeah. I did renewable energy engineering. So very oh, proper cool. for one. Yeah, yeah. It was it was one of the only program. It was the only program in Canada that was focused just on that back then. There's probably more now, that's for sure. And so it was pretty cool. Class of thirty. So got through that. But the last year we had these final year projects, and I ended up getting into the formula hybrid race car. So yeah, so basically it's a student-run build of a race car, okay? And this doesn't exist anymore because it was actually too hard. They had a hybrid system, so they had you had to have a gas and electric motor system. It only lasted a few years because it was overly complex to have students try to design to a hybrid system. It's really difficult. Yeah, yeah. So they're and, trying to figure and, out how to do the gas engine side. And they're trying to figure out how to do the electric engine side and make them work together. Why don't oh, we just yeah, mask it, one of them? Oh, it was a complete mess. So anyways, we, we ended up and I ended up getting thrown on this team with a bunch of mechanical engineers. And I was in renewable energy, which is kind of like a mix of all traits. And they said, well, you're the electrical guy, you figure it out. 
And I, yeah, which I, by the way, back then, I absolutely hate electricity. I did not get it and I wanted nothing to do with it, but I was sort of forced into it. And at one point, I I think one of the professors was like, you're not, you're not like, you're only doing 10% of what you should be doing, which was like a real kick in the butt. Um, And yeah, it was, it was like, I was demoralized for about a week, but then I kind of took it on me to like, let's, let's use this anger to do something. And I ended up, we, you know, we ended up redesigning a little team that we had, a little sub team that we had into designing this electrical system. And we ended up placing like eight in North America. Um, when we went to New Hampshire to race it, we ended up placing first in Canada and it was, wow. you know, the system looking back, like after four or five years, you know, later, I look back at this and I'm like, this is terrible. I mean, I made every mistake in the book, but then I slowly I sort of realized that that was the point, you know, that was the point you made. I made every mistake in the book there so that I could learn from them and eventually do what I do today, which was really cool. So, so I, yeah, I did that for five years and I worked as a product engineer for a railway company for a year. And there I actually got a first patent with using battery systems. So right out of the gate, I was kind of using that battery in industrial setting. Then I did an MBA in Australia, which was phenomenal. It was great to kind of explore the world, did a little traveling. Yeah. So, you know, that that classic student thing. And then uh, came back here. And then the plan was always, let's get a job. Let's save up some money. And then we'll see if, you know, I still want to do my own thing. You know, that kind of the classic entrepreneurial, oh, you know, let's let's save money first, right? And then and, and <laughs> I realized, and you know, I started interviewing for these jobs and I got back and I was, it was just depressing. It was like, do I want a sales job where I sell those little blinkers that go on top of buildings for aircraft warning? Like that right, was one right. of them. I was, and like the pay was really good, but the job was awful. Or it was like the pay My was terrible. Than your blinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, so, so then there was like the whole, uh, yeah, then there was like, or it was a somewhat interesting job with a really bad pay. And then I just kept telling him, like, I really want to do this. I don't really know what I'm doing either. And my family and friends were just like, you know what? Just like, go for it. Like, you'll figure out the money. We'll figure that part out. And so that's exactly what I did. I just plunged into it. Obviously still in debt. Obviously no job, no prospects, no nothing. I went through the Rick Center. That was kind of my first point of contact with the startup world. I ended up getting like a $15,000 loan from Futurepreneur. And I guess the the rest is history. So just kind of proves that you don't really have to have your ducks aligned or even or even know what you're going to do. I mean, the first product that I was going into this business with is definitely not nowhere near what we're doing right now. So pretty cool. You hear from a lot of different entrepreneurial advisors and mentors, and, and I'm obviously a Rick Center board member. I'm also a futurepreneur mentor, uh, many other things. But So I've been around and I've done a couple exits myself, as you know. And the reality is that you always hear them say, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, then you waited too long to launch it. And, and it's okay to say my first battery wasn't that sexy, but I got a patent and we got in the market, so we're good. Speaking of that, how did you get connected with Rick Center eventually? You mentioned Futurepreneur, and obviously we're connected through Rick, and how did that come around? Yeah, I, yeah. So I think Rick was my first, and you know, my first kind of like mentorship startup program. And I think it was just a Google, like I, I just Googled, you know, startup Mississauga or startup Toronto, wherever I was. And it was like, oh, Rick Center, you know, and they can help with funding. And I was like, well, that's good because that's what I need. Um, and <laughs> hey, and, and mentorship honest, too. is honest about it. He Googled it and he heard that Rick can help with funding. Uh, you got to trust a guy yeah. that's that honest. <laughs> So, so I, I, you know, I, I booked an appointment, went down when we could see people in person. And uh, yeah, and it turned out there was a lot more support than I thought, which was excellent. And I think I pretty much attended 
most of the Rick Center events for like two, three years. I mean, I still do. Obviously, now not with COVID, but I still attend them because there's some of them are done twice. So, you know, there's a lot to learn there. And on the funding side, they helped me hook me up with Futurepreneur. And then there's the BDC. And now I'm sort of like, they call me the grant. Well, I don't know if I call me a grant. I think one person called me the grant master. But I, I'm pretty good with grants now because I've learned all the ins and outs of, of the Canadian landscape for startups. So, Francois, it's super awesome to hear that you got connected with groups like Futurepreneur, Rick Center. You become the grant master. That sounds cool, actually. And I know I got friends that are in the grant business, so I know they're not easy. It's also awesome to hear that you just persevere and that you continue to reinvest in your teams and take care of your teams or find a better way to do something better by finding them the right spot or the right job or something that they're going to love and be passionate about inside of your business. So rather than onboarding and offboarding, you're just moving them around to where they can excel. And actually, I get that. That helps teams and companies better than trying to find someone else to replace that other job. So great work you've done, great opportunity. You've continued to grow. I love that you're taking advantage of all this new renewable solar free energy and helping people actually do the same. I think it's fantastic. But as we wrap up here, Francois, I got one question I've got to ask you. Given the chance to start all over again and be an entrepreneur from scratch, would you do it? Oh my gosh, yeah, 100 times over. No hesitation on that one. I do what I love every day. I mean, I, I'm not driving a Ferrari home, let's be honest here. And if anybody who thinks that it will are crazy, lucky, or whatever, because I'm definitely not. But it is an amazing journey. You have an interesting life. And trust me, you will look at other jobs and you'll go, my goodness, I would be so bored in that. Because And maybe it's a little bit of a virus because you'll never want to not be an entrepreneur after this. Because once you've tasted it, the freedom oh, yeah. and the ability to do what you love every day is absolutely insane. Even despite the hard struggles that you have to go through and the amount of perseverance and effort you got to put into it. But yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome job. A hundred percent. You're just like many other entrepreneurs we talk to. I'm a diseased entrepreneur myself. Obviously, I keep doing it and I'm doing this to talk to other entrepreneurs. And maybe you're not driving the Ferrari today, but maybe you will be driving the Rimmick in a couple of years from now. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone that doesn't know what that one is, us in the solar, renewable, electric, green energy vehicle world will know that that is the beast of a sports car. It's a supercar, all electric. So uh, I knew Francois would get that reference. Francois, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for telling us about hybrid power solutions and sharing what you're doing that excites you, motivating other entrepreneurs, and telling us where the future of our energy is going to be going. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it so much. Thanks, Patrick, so much for having me. Thank you. Folks, this is Patrick McGuire with Startups Transform Podcast and our friend Francois and Hybrid Power Solutions. This has been a great episode where you can learn to put your people in the right place, stay focused, persevere, and don't do exclusive deals. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to hearing you, seeing you, talking with you, connecting with you. Francois, before we sign off, people are going to want to talk to you. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, that's easy. Hybridps.ca. Go on our chat bar right there or just info at hybridps.ca. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Francois, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Thank you for joining us on Startups Transform Podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the conversation, a rating or review goes a long way. Recommend the show to a friend. 
Find us at altitudeaccelerator.com where we can help you begin your startup journey with access to our workshops, advisors, and mentorship opportunities. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.